Man, every time I see that video, I just laugh. I just think it's hilarious. Um, uh, this past week, there were some senior adults that came up to me, no joke, and said, hey, um, are, how are you exactly related to the Braves? You know? And so that's, that's Wayne and Amy and their family, our lead pastor, his wife, family in the video. And I was like, I'm not related at all. I just wanted to be in the video as a weird, weird uncle, because we all have them, right? But we've been in this series, this is our fourth week of the series called Full House. And we've just been walking through, like, what does it mean um, in our family uh, to really live for God and to really have this full house that's pleasing to the Lord? And we've been walking through um, a, really a passage in Deuteronomy called the Shema which is where Moses is challenging the Israelites and really has some great practical things that whether we're, we um, have kids, whether we don't have kids, whether our kids are, are older and out of the house or we would like to have kids or if we're just single, um, some great principles for us to know in our lives as we walk with God and, and attempt this whole journey of trying to follow God with everything that we have. And I wanted to start off with this morning when, it, when we think about our family with this really bold, at least in my opinion, this bold statement and I want you to think about this with me, is that no one has more potential to influence, okay, to influence your child than you. No one has more potential to influence their child than you. Think about this. You see your kids, um, your children a lot, probably too much for some of you. You're like, I don't see my kids too much. No. Um, but we influence or we can influence our kids. We have the greatest potential as mom and dad to influence our children. That no one has that, that great of an influence. Sure, our coaches and teachers and family members and friends going to have influence? Absolutely. But when it comes to walking with God, think about this with me, is that we have the opportunity as mom and dad to influence our kids, that when they see our lives, they could see um, we have opportunity to influence them on, hey, this is what loving the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Remember Moses talked to the Israelites about that, that we, as we model that, we can influence our kids for them to see us love God with everything that we have and follow him. And on the flip side, we could also influence them to really not love God with everything that we have. We can influence them to just kind of serve God here and there and with pieces of our heart, soul, and mind. Or if you look and kind of hit on some things that Moses talked about in Deuteronomy, he talks about how as parents we should be teaching our kids diligently and consistently and really with laser focus on what it means to live for God. And so our kids, we have the opportunity to influence that. They can see us. And, and our hard work as parents and being very intentional with the way that we point our kids and our family members and our friends and our coworkers, how they can see in our lives, how we are pointing people to Jesus, how we're living for God and being intentional in our walk with him. Or on the flip side, we can influence them to say, you know, it's just kind of like, it's not really a priority for us. We're not really intentional. It just kind of happens. We just kind of when we're, when we're in town, we'll go to church kind of mentality. Um, our kids are seeing those things. You know this. Our kids see those things in our lives, and we either make the most of it or we, or we don't. And if you were here last week, I kind of want to just pick up where we left off. Um, I ended our service with this Skittle illustration. I have this huge container of Skittles to really represent the time in our life. And if you think about all the time in our life, um, I was pouring it into um, really two different jars and said, hey, 
You know, one jar being the essentials of life. We spend a lot of time eating, sleeping, going to the bathroom, you know, getting ready for bed, whatever it is. We kind of doing those things. We also spend a lot of time with work at our jobs, um, at school. For, for those of you who are in school, um, traveling, vacation, whatever the case may be. And what was left was a little amount of time that we have as mom and dad to really intentionally invest into the spiritual lives of our kids. So this little jar represents that. And I challenged you with, hey, when you see this, when you see um, really you start to count your days, you can make your days count to say, hey, I don't have a lot of time with my kids. And if you think about some of us, you know, you have more time because your kids are small. Some of us, your kids are, are grown up and gone, and, but you still have some time with them to make the most out of the opportunity that you have with your kids, no matter what age they are, to really invest into their spiritual lives. Because we spend a lot of time investing into their, their grades, into their academics, into their sports, into their friendships. But we need to, those, those things are important. But at the end of the day, what's really important is their lives um, spiritually and where they're going to spend eternity. And so we need to make the most out of this time. And if you think about it, the harsh reality for those of us who have kids is that the older your children become, the, the more your influence diminishes. Think about this. If we have the most influence on our kids' lives, the older they become, the more our influence on their life diminishes. For instance, when, they, when your kids are young, I remember these days, you know, some of you know our story. We went from zero to three kids in the matter of nine months. And it was like potty training galore or diapers or formula or whatever the case may be. When your kids are highly dependent on you and you alone, you have a lot of influence, right? You have a lot of influence on what they wear, what they eat, what time they go to bed, what they do, and fun activities, all those things. You have heavy influence on that. You remember those days when you would say, no, you're not going to do that, and they would do it? <laughs> remember those days, parents, okay? Then they get into middle school, and they think that you're the dumbest person on the face of the planet, and they start to say, you know what, I don't have to listen to you. You know, you're not going to have the greatest influence in my life. My friends are going to have greater influence. And so they begin to do what they do. This kind of explains the times that as parents, um, if you have kids old enough to do this, you have been telling them for, let's say, 13 years to live a certain way. And then one moron friend at school tells them to do something that goes against that. And they're like, okay. And they do it, right? Because they're, they're looking at it, your influence has diminished, and now their, their, their friend's influence has, have, has taken that spot. And then as they get older, as they get married, they, they get real jobs, they start a family. While you're, you have some influence, it's just not as great. That they're not calling you, asking your opinion about everything. They're going to do what you want to do. And if you have kids that are grown in that, when you try to insert your opinion, it's almost like you're talking to a wall, right? You kind of say, why don't you do that? And they're like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. And so we see that in life, as parents, with the, the influence that we have with our kids, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I, I, I'm almost 39 years old, and I still call my mom to this day and say, hey, mom, like, what do you think about this? And I still want her opinion, but at the end of the day, our influence isn't as great as to when our kids are in our house. And so if, if that is true, when our kids are in our home, what are we doing 
with the time and with the influence that we have. Because when they're young, we have to be intentional about that. And it comes so much more. I think we get so, um, uh, I don't know, bogged down in behavior modification that we miss out on the opportunities to really train and establish and to speak into and disciple our children's hearts. That's all about do this and don't do that. Do this and don't do that. Hey, and I remember like our kids, even to this day, we say you need to listen and obey. Listen and obey. That was like the, that's like the rule at our house. But at the end of the day, what matters most is their heart. Not just the things that they do. And Jesus understood this. He understood the, the tension of the human heart that what Jesus came, his whole ministry was about was that um, a heart is transformed for God. Not just behavior modification or sin management. And, and so you think about it, he shows up, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day have been teaching and have really uh, manipulated the people's minds and hearts to, to do all these things. You want to be close to God, you got to do A, B, C, D, all the way to Z and plus some. You have to do all of these things. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, you know what? You, you see his first really public teaching, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he tells the people, you've heard it said this way, but I'm here to tell you this. And he begins to point to the people's hearts. That it's not just about all this behavior checklist to do things, religion. It's about this transformation of the heart. And Jesus knew that once the heart is transformed, the behavior will follow. Once the heart is understood, I mean, think about this if you're parenting your kids. Once your kids understand, it's not just, there is a season where they just don't do things because they're afraid of being spanked or the consequences. But when they start doing things because they understand the heart of lying to my parents is wrong, when that is in the heart and not just the, I'm going to lose this, that's really the, the sign of maturity and discipleship, Right? They're understanding in their heart. And Jesus wants to do that and desires to do that with our hearts. For our hearts to understand, not just the consequences of sin, but the reason why our hearts should be aligned with him. And so he shows up in this passage um, and Jesus actually quotes what we saw Moses challenge the Israelites with in Matthew 22. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, Matthew 22. It'll be on the screens as well. And I love what happens before this moment. Just kind of set up some context. Jesus has started his ministry and the Sadducees are another kind of branch of kind of the religious police. And the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they always want to trick Jesus. They're trying to get him in this like gotcha moment. I always just envision them kind of hiding in the bushes and they pop out and like, gotcha, you know, like totally tricked you in that. And they were just tricksters. They wanted... They really wanted to get Jesus in a trap and try to make him stumble across his words. And so you have the Sadducees, they show up and they ask this really odd question, in my opinion. And they say, which it was totally cultural at the time. So they understand, they're like, hey, Jesus, let me ask you a question. You know, culturally speaking, if a guy marries a woman and then the guy dies, um, his brother is supposed to step up and marry that, his brother's wife. And so they could bear children. And so they go on this tangent and they're like, okay, what if this guy, he, he marries this wife, 
uh, his wife, he gets married, and he dies, and he has seven other brothers. So his next brother marries her, and they don't have kids, and he dies, and the next brother, you know, it's like, Jerry, Jerry, okay? And it's like all this brother stuff, and they're like, what, is, what happens then, Jesus? Like, they're trying to trick him. And I love Jesus. He does like this mic drop moment, and he literally tells them, you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. And I love this. It says that they were silenced. I think the last verse says, um, and when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. I mean, it's like cricket, cricket. You could hear a pin drop. He just like said, you know, get that out of my house type thing. And so then the Pharisees hear about this, and they're like, okay, you know, y'all couldn't do it. We're going we're gonna to bring up the home run hitter. We're going to do it. And so this is where we pick up in chapter 22, verse 34 um, of Jesus uh, acknowledging this. And I really do think this. Jesus is about to lay out. I know it sounds super elementary, but let's be honest. Sometimes we complicate following Jesus. And we make it about all these things. And, our, and Jesus is about to lay out two huge principles that are true of, should be true of every believer and it should be true of us as mom and dad instilling these into our kids. And this is what Jesus says. It says, or, and scripture reads, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. They're in a huddle. They're like, we got to get Jesus. We got to stump this, this dude. Verse 35, and one of them, a lawyer, your translation might say an expert in the law. They got their home run hitter right now. He's going to hit a grand slam with Jesus. They asked him a, quest, um, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then Jesus says this, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Total Jesus fashion. He puts them in their place. They're trying to trick him. And what I love about this, this is really a bridge to the Old Testament and the New Testament. Meaning this, the Pharisees were threatened because their job was to enforce the religious law of the day. And they believed Jesus was coming to abolish that law to get rid of it. And so here is a great example, just one example, where Jesus, even in himself earlier in the gospel, says, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so he is, as the uh, God incarnate, Jesus is come, coming to fulfill that law. And he says it right here, like, hey, everything that's in the law and what the prophet said all depends on these two things. So everything that, that was in the law that you've been following, all those things and all these rules you're trying to test me and trick me in, and all the things that the prophet said, these people who, who um, spoke God's word hundreds if not thousands of years prior to Jesus, all of those things are, are dependent on these two principles. Love God with everything that you have, your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbors as yourself. Great principles to live by. Wouldn't you agree? Great principles to live by. And I'm not going to go so much into the love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, because we talked about that. He's quoting Moses in this. Um, when we talked about that the first week. That's central to us, that as believers, God wants all of us. He doesn't want just a piece of our heart, a piece of our mind, a piece of our soul. He wants everything. That should be huge as a part of every believer, whether you have kids or not. 
But two things I want to pull and just look at this morning is that out of us loving God, okay, out of that comes this, that loving God leads to loving others. Think about that. Loving others. Loving others. Out of this outflow of our love for God, and the only way we see in Scripture that we can love God is because He first loved us. And so because of that great gift of God's love for us, out of that overflow of Him loving us, we as believers loving God should love others. It is the outflow of our lives. It should be something that people see in us and say, man, that person really loves people well. Parents, our kids should see us loving people well. We, they should, our kids should see us love our neighbor who just gets on our nerves, you know? Like, how often like, do you hear about, and maybe you've experienced this, where like, I can't believe they planted that tree. That's my property line, <laughs> you know? Or I can't believe they said this or did this in the neighborhood, on the neighborhood Facebook page, whatever. Well, we should love people well. Our kids should see us doing that. I know I'm guilty of being at the dinner table and be like, I can't, you know, talking a conversation, having a conversation with my wife and saying, can you believe so-and-so did this, this, and this? I cannot believe that. Or we're in the car talking about somebody and bashing somebody. That's wrong of us. Our kids shouldn't see us tearing people down. They should see us loving people well. And that we're the example as mom and dad instilling that and using the influence that we have to show them that, whether they vote the way we do, look the way we do, believe the way we do, have the so, same socioeconomic status as we do, it doesn't matter. We're going to love people and love them well. That should be something that we instill into our kids. But one of the problems is, is that, um, that we become so focused on our behavior and we become consumed with ourselves that we instead... Uh, uh, of really thinking about others, we just think about ourselves. So think about that. We become more consumed with ourselves instead of the lives of others. And so we're so worried about our behavior. Do I, am I knocking off this religious checklist of being a good Christian person that we totally ignore the lives of others? That we're so worried about, I need to make sure I have it all together. I've even heard people say, I have a hard enough time keeping myself straight. I can't keep somebody else straight. That, well, that's not what Jesus is asking us to do. He's asking us to love people. And if we're so consumed on ourselves, we miss that. We miss, hey, if I, if I got to get all my, my stuff together, you know, who cares about everybody else? And I really do think a byproduct of that is that we become numb to the fact that people that we encounter in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our sports teams, or the parents of our kid, that our kids um, teams that our kids play on, all those things, we become numb to the fact that they don't know Jesus and they're going to hell. And we're more concerned with, I just got to make sure I have all my stuff intact. That our eyes should be ones that say, you know what? That person needs Jesus. I need to love them well. I need to, they, every, every single one of us and every, all the people we encounter have a story of something. And the reason they act the way they act, if they're hard to love, is because of something that's broken. And it might be sin. And they might be far from God. And it's our responsibility to love them and allow our kids to see us uh, love them. First John 4.20 says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. I mean, that's plain and simple. For he who does not love his brother, 
whom he has not seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Man, John puts it out plain as day. Man, if we say we love God, we got to love other people well. We got to love other people. And unfortunately, we live in a world, this is a massive problem in our culture, where people cannot tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. There are Christians that I know, Christians that I know that say they love God, but they don't even love Christians, much less people who don't know Jesus. And so if the world sees that and they don't see a difference between Christians and non-Christians in the way that Christians love, I mean, think about this. Scripture said, people will know that you are my disciples by the way that you what? Love one another. And if we can't, if we can't display that kind of love, people are like, that's a joke. Following Jesus is a joke. You can't even love each other, much less love people who are far from God. What are you going to do? And I think it's, just, it's created this. I don't know about you. Okay, I'm kind of getting on the soapbox a little bit. In our world right now, we just have angry people. People are just angry. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand it. Like, I understand, okay, this past year, year and a half has been tough for all of us. Wouldn't you agree? We've had to make adjustments. And some of us have gotten laid off from our jobs. You know, I think about my kids and like going to school. I don't want my kids going to school with a mask and plexiglass. I mean, that's just like, seems so institutional. But I do it. You know, I want my kids to go to school and to have some kind of interaction. And whether you believe in masks or what, wherever you stand on that or the vaccine or any of that stuff, that doesn't even matter. What I'm saying is we've all made adjustments along the way. But at the end of the day, I don't want my witness as a believer to be ruined because I'm angry about something. I want, I want people to see my love for people. And I, I saw on Facebook this post. I, I, I'm sorry, I just had a, I, I laughed. I should cry because it's really sad. But I saw some people and like a little banter on Facebook. I'm sure we've all seen that. Don't you love that when it's like 4,000 comments? And I don't know if you ever like get into that rabbit hole. You're like, this is ridiculous. And it was just one of those. But it was someone complaining, I'm not going to say names, um, and it's no one here, but it was someone complaining, they were, they, they were calling out Chick-fil-A for being lazy, for not opening up their stores. And, and literally, the thread was like this, like, they are so lazy, they just need to open up their stores. I'm so tired of going through the drive-thru and eating fast food at Chick-fil-A. And I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm just going to be honest, because I'm a Christian, I don't care if I eat Chick-fil-A indoors or outdoors. It's still good. It still tastes the same. I don't really care. And Chick-fil-A is like the top level. Like, now, if you told me I had to eat McDonald's and go through their drive-thru, okay, it might be a different story. But Chick-fil-A, you know, like their service, you go in and out really quick. But this was like, I cannot believe this. Chick-fil-A is lazy. They need to open up their doors. I'm tired of eating fast food in my car, and I'm tired of all the trash in my car. I'm like, do you hear yourself, like how entitled you sound right now? I'm like, clean up your car, all right? And it's all about perspective, right? Because I would say, have you ever been to a third world country? Because I have. And I've seen kids that even, even in the whole like craziness and adjustments and wherever you stand with all the public school stuff, I've been to places where education is not free. It's not, it's not a, um, something that's just warranted for, our, for kids. 
I see kids that they have to pay for school uniforms. In third world countries, they have to walk six miles to get to school. And if, they can't, if their family can't afford it, guess what? Their eight-year-old is on the streets. I, I've seen it in downtown Ethiopia or downtown Guatemala City. And they are piddling um, or peddling trinkets that they made or food that's made in their house so that they can live. Now, you want to talk about inconvenience? That's an inconvenience. And so my kids wearing a mask or doing plexiglass, I can suck it up, buttercup, because they're going to school. It's not this big thing, but people are so angry about it. And then it shows out on the way that they love or how they love or don't love people. Are you with me? And as Christians, we should be known for our love. Even if we don't believe it or, or, or agree with it, whatever the stance is, we should still love people well. And you know what's interesting? If you do research in this, and I did student ministry for a long time. I know Steve did. He, he can uh, attest to this. Most kids, when they graduate high school, they don't leave the church because they didn't feel loved. They leave the church because the church doesn't love other people well. They see the contradiction. They see parents and church leaders saying, we just need to love them. We need to love all people. You know, we're all sinners, saved by grace. Can I get an amen? You know, let's just all love them. And then when it, the rubber really meets the road, like, yeah, well, let's love everybody, but not them. And they see the contradiction and students, um, when they graduate, they hit real life and they're like, why didn't my parents love that person? Or why did the church not love this group of people? And they walk away. They say, that's a bunch of baloney. And let us be reminded that we need to love people well. Loving God is this outflow that leads us um, to loving others well. And what's so amazing is that God's story of redemption and our lives as parents give our children a front row seat to God's grace. Think about that. If God can love someone like me, a mess up like me, it gives my kids a front row seat to see, man, God is faithful and, and he is full of grace. If he can save someone like me, he can save my kids. And he can save someone who doesn't believe like me, look like me, act like me, whatever the case may be. He can bring hope into their life if they give their life to Jesus just as much as me. And so we can't put up these walls. We have to love other people well. And then secondly, loving God leads us to living on mission. If Jesus is saying, hey, you need to love your neighbor as yourself, and everything depends on these things, think about this is the mission. This was the mission of Jesus. He was going, and he loved the outcast well, and that was his mission. He went all throughout um, Galilee, and he visited these towns, and he visited these little villages, and he would meet people who were the outcast, and he would come to them and just love on them and forgive them of their sins, and great miracles would happen as he was living on mission. And as parents in our house, the, what is the purpose of our parenting? Think about this. I think we get sucked into the trap of, I know I'm guilty of this, they need to make good grades. They need to get a scholarship. They need to go to great college where they're going to get a good job, have these incredible, this incredible wife with incredible kids, and I need my job as a grandparent to be hunky-dory, and maybe I'll get a pool, and they'll all come to my house, you know? And we kind of look at this path, and at the end of the day, I'm going to be honest with you. If one of my kids, while I want them to get good grades and I want them to be a great athlete, man, if they're a C student, and people are coming to know Jesus because of my kid, amen. 
If people's lives are radically changed, but my kids is not that great at school, I would take that any day. Now, am I going to push them? Am I going to settle and say, hey, you're just a C student. Just shoot for Cs. You know, all right, go kid. You know, I want them to be all A's just like anybody else. But at the end of the day, the purpose of our parenting is, and we said this a couple weeks ago, our goal is not good kids, it's godly kids. And what that means is that we have to imagine with the end in mind, what does that mean for my kids? And the goal and the purpose is really to raise missionaries. Not, some will move to Africa and go to India and all those things. But I'm saying every single one of us, if we're a believer, we're called to be missionaries in our job places. Some of us are teachers. We have, you have great, a great mission field each and every day. Some of you are in the medical profession. You get to see people at, at, at really low places at times and to speak the gospel and speak hope into their lives. But each of us, as we raise our kids to say, hey, here's the mission. The mission is for you to love God and to love others. Let's live on that mission. Let's do that. That doesn't just happen overnight. Have you ever experienced... Um, I didn't know I had an official title, but it's called highway hypnosis. Have you ever heard of this? It's a real thing. This is when you get in your car, you, close, you, know, you, you crank it, close the door, you drive somewhere, let's just say 20, 30 minutes away. You get there, you get out of your car, you close the door, and then you have this epiphany that says, how in the world did I just get here? Have you ever had that? It's the scariest thing ever known to man, all right? Like, how, how does that happen? And so often I say that because a lot of times we, we kind of approach parenting that way. It's going to, hey, let's just kind of go through the motions. Let's kind of put this thing on autopilot. And one day we'll wake up out of our house and be like, oh, I think we did a pretty good job. I think, I don't know how we got here, but we got here and they're pretty good kids. They didn't kill each other. They didn't kill us. We're good. It doesn't just happen like that. If you want kids and a family that's living on mission, you have to be super intentional with it. Think about it. Nothing else in our life just happen and turn out really great without hard work, without intentionality in those things. And so if we're going to raise kids to live on mission, as a family, we have to live on mission. So what does that mean practically? What does that mean? What does that look like? Okay, let's think about this. Have your kids, I said this a couple weeks ago because I'm really convicted about it. Have your kids ever seen you share Jesus? Not just say, I'll pray for you, that's really bad. But to actually like share the gospel. Like, not in like a weird way, okay? But I'm just saying, have they ever seen you have this conversation where you're leading people and saying, hey, if you don't know where you would spend eternity, here's how you can know. I mean, what a great, awesome opportunity for your kids to see that. Have your kids ever seen you serve and meet the needs of maybe a widow in your neighborhood or maybe it's a, a single mom or family that's just in need to, to meet a need somehow? Like, I'm saying beyond just baking cookies and welcoming them to the neighborhood. I'm saying really go cut their grass. Go take that lady to the grocery store. Whatever the case may be, have your kids seen you serve that way? Maybe go downtown and serve the homeless or do meals on wheels. Or maybe your family go on a family mission trip. Maybe that's something that you need, you need to do. Go, go experience that as a family. That's what I love about our church is that, and I really commend Steve on this, man. He just leads this so well. We have so many opportunities. We have so many people with this heart to go do this. As he mentioned, you know, building a ramp for someone who's in a wheelchair. Now think about that. 
have you looked at lumber costs lately? That's like a $400,000 ramp, you know? You need to tithe some more. <laughs> so, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but think about that. But people are donating that and saying, hey, I'll put my blood, sweat, and tears into that. Man, we've like done roofs. We've built tiny homes. Man, there's so many things. And it goes on and on and on. As a family, get, get involved in that. Do some things. So what you're saying, if we really need to help people, isn't just lip service. It's really walking and showing your kids we're living on mission together. We're going to do this together. And if we are serious um, about us being the primary disciple makers of our kids, then that discipleship needs to be serious. If we're going to take it seriously to instill in our kids and make the most out of this opportunity to influence our kids for the gospel of Jesus, we need to be intentional. It doesn't just happen. And I love this. Paul says this to the church of Rome. He says, talking, talking to them, man, really challenging them, getting in their face. He says, how then will they call on him, talking about God, how will they call on God in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So Paul is saying, how are people going to hear? How are people going to know to believe in Jesus if you and I are not stepping up and being the hands and feet of Jesus and raising kids and a family to do that as well? And that should hit us right here. That we can't just be in golf while it's fun and it's great. And I'm not saying this to be like Debbie Downer. I mean, have fun. Get your kids in sports. Man, I hope they make... I hope they're Valley Victorians of their high school and going to college for free. Man, what a great way to celebrate. Some of you have been celebrating senior recognition. We celebrated that last week, senior recognition. Going off, man, that is a great accomplishment. Don't get me wrong. But the gospel is the ultimate accomplishment. It getting sent out for lives to be changed. And Paul's telling the church in Rome, man, how are they going to do it if we don't do it? How are they going to hear if we're not willing to hear? And our kids, we drop them off at school. Some of us are like, man, thank God you're going to school so I can go have some me time. It's an opportunity for them, them to be on a mission field. And you know just as well as I do. I mean, having a, um, just ending third, fifth, and sixth grade, our kids hear all kinds of things. Have we prepared them and discipled them well to love others and to live on mission? That's a, a good question to ask us, ask ourselves. Have we prepared them to love others well and to live on mission for Jesus? And that should be all of our thoughts, as, whether you're a parent or not. As we go through this day, let, when we leave this place, let us be inspired to love people well and to live on mission. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for those two principles that Jesus taught to the Pharisees. As they were trying to trick him in, in a moment of trying to manipulate the situation and catch him off guard, in total Jesus fashion, he said, here's two things that are important. Love God with everything that you have. That's the first and the greatest thing. 
And second, love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we love ourselves pretty well. And so God, as as we live this life as believers, whether we have a family or not, let us love you with everything that we have. And out of that outflow of our love for you, mainly because of your love for us, God, let us love others well. Even when they get on our nerves and we don't understand and we think that the things that they have to say are just ignorant or things that we just don't agree with and we just think there's no way that they believe that. Let us love them well. When they wrong us, treat us bad, let us love them. We don't understand things, let us love them. God, out of that, as we attempt to be examples to the people that we encounter, let us keep the mission in mind. Let us, let us keep the mission all in perspective. That while it's great to have an awesome family that has all kind of accolades and, and, and certificates and awards and all kind of success to earthly standards, Father, let us be successful at, at sending out our kids and ourselves being sent out for people to hear the gospel. Let it move forward through us. God, I pray that this place, Upstate Church Five Forks, and all of our campuses are a hub for life change to happen. That as we do that, people will come and to hear your word and will see real life change and transformation in their heart. Not just sin management. They'll see life change happen. God, I, I, I just am so thankful for the opportunity to be a part of that. Give us that passion and that desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's uh, close and worship together. Let's stand and proclaim the name of the one who gives us an opportunity to love him well.